On today's episode, we sat down with Ben Myers, housing analyst extraordinaire and friend of the show. We talked about demographics, mortgage fraud, household debt levels, shadow banking, foreign buyers, and of course, we got into a little Blue Jays talk. Stay tuned. Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Okay, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show uh, for a, I think we have a third time, might be a record, uh, one of our favorite guests, Ben Myers, Senior Vice President, Market Research and Analytics at Fortress Real Developments. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, looking forward to chatting with you, uh, of course, about your latest uh, market manuscript, which you've um, just recently put out and talk about the markets across Canada. Of course, we want to focus on Toronto as well. But before I do that, I got to ask you, here we are, April 1st, Blue Jays season, about to get started. What are your thoughts? I know you're a huge fan. Yeah. How are you looking forward to the season? Yeah, I'm pretty uh, pretty excited, obviously. It's probably the best team that they've, uh, they've assembled since probably 1993. And, and so certainly my expectations are as high as they've ever been. So hopefully they can uh, live up to those expectations. And uh, the key is to, to stay injury-free. Right? They can stay injury-free. They'll, they'll be in it at the end of the year. And, you know, that's that's all I really want is to, you know, to be, uh, be playing meaningful baseball in September and hopefully uh, back playing in October again. Let's face it, the city's still buzzing from the playoff run in the fall, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... I mean, people are st- people are really excited. Yeah, the columns to the sports radio shows are just being dominated by uh, by baseball, uh, which which is shocking given how uh, how good the Raptors are this year. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully uh, hopefully the team uh, gets off well and, and uh, hitting some more home runs and uh, filling up the ballpark. What do you think is there? Put on, you know, you're an analyst, obviously for a living. Let's 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 talk to Ben Myers, the baseball analyst. What do you think their biggest? Uh, what's their biggest strength and their biggest weakness? Well, obviously the uh, the hitting is their is their biggest strength. I mean, they've got you know four guys that are MVP quality guys uh, all back to back in the lineup. Um, you know the. The, the weakness was, will potentially be the starting rotation. You have Stroman and Sanchez who are both still very young, haven't have never pitched uh, you know 150 to 200 innings in a single year. You've got Estrada who had one good year, so we'll you know we don't know how uh, you know how good he's gonna uh, gonna be moving forward. Hap again had 10 good starts with Pittsburgh last year and landed himself a, a three-year, 36 million dollar deal. Uh, Not bad. Yep. <laughs> you know a. Uh, 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 40-year-old guy that chucks up a knuckleball, right? So it, it could it could go horribly wrong in the starting rotation, or uh, it could go it could go very right as long as they're average with this uh, with this hitting lineup. They uh, they should be good. Yeah, do you buy into that theory that basically the pitching just has to be kind of average because the hitting is going to be so good? And as long as the pitching is average, they're going to be an elite team. Winning is about uh, scoring more runs than the other team. Pretty, pretty simple. And if your team is scoring five to seven runs every single game, then well, you got to let up uh, <laughs> less than six or less than four, right? Depending on those those two scores. So you don't have to go out like a Tampa Bay and and uh, let up zero or one run every single game if you want to win, right? So uh, it should be exciting. I'd much rather watch seven six games than one nothing games all day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I hear you. 
Well, I'm looking forward. This should be a great year. Let's switch gears and talk about housing, housing markets. And of course, your market manuscript just came out where you're analyzing the entire Canadian housing market. Um, what would you say, what's the number one theme as you're reflecting on you know, the markets across Canada right now? What's the number one theme or number one insight that stands out to you from uh, your latest report right now? Well, there was two topics that kind of came up over the last six months. I did this report biannually. So there's two topics that uh, were really kind of the discussion over the last uh, last six months were were mortgage fraud and, you know, demographics, all right? So, you know, obviously the home capital group suspended 40 brokers um, uh, because of potential or, or suspected, uh, you know, fraudulent applications that were coming in. So, <clears throat> that became news. Like, how big of a problem is that overall in the industry? Is it is it something that's that's very small and can be isolated? Um, you know, it's like a you know, like describe it as a you know, small fire in your microwave. Can you just put that out before it takes down your whole house, or is or is there little small fires happening all over the place that are going to eventually burn down your entire house? That's the way I kind of kind of look at it in my head. All right, um, but you know, just from from uh, what I saw, I mean, I. I I just didn't see anything from um, you know the, the the stuff that I looked at that that really set alarm bells off in, in my head. Uh, certainly, there's I, I mentioned in, in the press release that we did. I just just not enough information. There's not really a um, any type of time series where I can look at or uh, reporting uh, that I can look at. The only data that I could find was from the Law Society of, of Upper Canada, where people put in complaints about lawyers. Right, and we're, we're talking about you know, 50 to 60 complaints, right, uh, in, a, in a year when we're having, you know, 600,000 new mortgage originations across the country every single year, right? So it's 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 really not something you can really glean much uh, much information from. And then on the, the demographic side, you know, there's there's talk that, you know, the, the population is getting too old, or the natural population is slow, we're having less kids. Uh, but, you know, we continue to get a strong population growth, and yes, a lot of that is, is, uh, is fueled through immigration, um, but we still have a, a very strong population of, of the 25 to, to 35 uh, range, and that's where um, you know most of the household formation is, is happening. Right, people are moving out of mom and dad's house, they're finishing up college, and they're looking for their own place. Right, so uh, in the development industry, it doesn't matter if someone is renting or buying; they're still using up a, a unit or creating a, a new unit of demand, and that trickles across. Uh, the entire industry. So if someone comes in and, and rents a unit, well, it's one less unit for someone to rent. So someone either has to go and rent another unit or buy another unit, right? Or in, us in the development industry needs to create that unit for that level of demand. So um, it looks like that age group, that primary household um, uh, formation age is, is going to continue to be increasing out for the next five years based off this Canada's low growth scenario. If you take their high growth scenario, um, it's going to be growing for another 10 years, right? So that's certainly positive for, for anyone that's in, uh, in the development industry. And just as a comparison, um, it was almost 10 years or longer, again, off the top of my head, I'm, I can't remember, but uh, where we actually saw declines in, in that age group happen, and that was back in the 1990s. So not only do we have a recession, but we had a decline in that uh, the key household formation age um, so that, you know, really kind of um, just added to the uh, negativity that was happening in that uh, in that market at that time. Yeah, it was almost from 1990 out until 2001. So it was like an 11-year period where 
we had uh, declines in that uh, you know that primary household formation age. Interesting. What's driving? Uh, I don't know if you can speak to it, but what is driving the growth in that um, key home buying demographic? Is it uh, is it just the, the cycle is 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 like you said, it was down and now it's up. It's just these things and goes in waves. Is it immigra- is, is immigration driving it? Uh, Got to look and say, yeah, um, you know, where was where there's boom, there's there's you know, there was a, a baby boom after the. Uh, um, uh, you know, after the war, and and those people had children, and a lot of those children are in that age, right? I'm probably uh, one of the older uh, kids of a of a baby boomer. My uh, so now you're seeing this, you know, this echo generation and these millennials in in a fairly large numbers, right? So, uh, and again, that's that's going to ebb and flow, uh, but uh, just and again, we don't know. Uh, of the immigrants, um, what ages they're going to be? We, we, uh, you may get a, a crop of older immigrant, immigrants coming in, or you might get a crop of, of younger ones, right? But, so that's why there's this kind of a, a larger gap between the, the 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 forecast by Statistics Canada. Right, right. Um, another key point from your report is talking about household debt. Um, and there's a lot of talk, obviously, about household debt. A lot of the bears of, uh, of real estate will always point out, you know, household debt is so high, um, or they'll make comparisons between household debt in Canada today versus, how, you know, household debt levels in the U.S., right, you know, at the moment of their crash, you know, eight or ten years ago. Um, are Canadians over-leveraged? Should we be worried? What's What do you find on that? Yeah, it was interesting. I I, I actually went out to mortgage brokers. I did a, a survey of, of mortgage brokers and asked them, you know, like what uh, what do you think of, of of your clients? Right? Are they are they over leveraged? Are they you know buying the right home for um, you know for their uh, their budget? And uh, it was interesting results. Fifty percent, exactly fifty percent of the uh, of the agents said that yeah that their their client was buying the right home for their financial situation. Right? That uh, um, twenty two percent said you know they're they're conservative. Right? They're, they're buying less than than their budget. Right? And another 11% were risk averse. They bought a home that was like considerably below their financial means, right? They could have bought a much bigger house or a much more expensive home. And, and 9% said, yeah, they were over leveraged. You know, I had to really pull some strings to get them into the house. And 8% was better stretching their budget. So it's only 17%. Um, they expressed, okay, well, you know, they're, they're kind of going over what they, what they should be, right? So and that kind of matches what we've kind of been told for a long time. And, and uh, you know, when you see, Lower rears rates. You see, you know, our rears rate is, other than a small period in, in the late 1990s, have been considerably below the United States for for 25 years, right? So obviously, that tells me that uh, regardless of if you want to build in a lag time between um, when a market goes bad and the market doesn't go bad, it's 25 years of information there, right? That says you know we are being better, uh, we're doing a better job at underwriting than they are in the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this this uh, this question also ties in with um, another another part of your report talking about um, home equity line of credit, HELOCs, and private mortgages. Um, what some people call shadow banking, sort of secondary sources of financing outside of the traditional financing for uh, for people buying homes. Um, what what did you find out about that side of it? Is is or you know is is this a is this a big uh, factor in the market? 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's, a, it's kind of a double-edged sword here, right? You know, we had this this major market meltdown in the United States. Uh, so every, um, you know, major bank in this uh, this country, you know, not only took it upon themselves to, to do better underwriting, but uh, were, were pressured from, uh, from the government side to do it as well. And we've also, you know, put in several um, rounds of mortgage tightening, right? So once... People are, you know, tightened. I guess, are, are forced away from a traditional, um, you know, go to my bank and get a mortgage. Now I can't qualify for that. Well, okay, I still want to buy a house, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, have we, you know, the underwriting is now much better for the people seeking traditional uh, sources of, of mortgage funds. But now we're creating a bigger group that's potentially going out into this secondary market uh, to find financing for a house because. As we know, people want what they want, right? <laughs> uh, they want to, if they want a house, they're going to go out and try to seek a house. Um, uh, and yeah, some of them will just say, "Okay, yes, I, I couldn't get it, my my mortgage from RBC, so I'm just going to not buy a house. I'm just going to continue to rent." But a lot of them are saying, "You know what? I really want a house. This is, you know, it's part of the the American dream or the Canadian dream to to own something." So they're going out and seeking private mortgages or or you know uh, second mortgages or something to to get that get them into a into a home so there's always that worry that uh, that's happening and you know my my survey of the, the mortgage workers showed that you know probably 89% of them said that mortgage the private mortgages were increasing uh, 76% said that second mortgages uh, were increasing 55% said unsecured credit lines were increasing 56% said heat ops were increasing right so um, you know that's certainly something that we're we're keeping an eye on. But in the end, if you look at studies done by Mortgage Professionals Canada, it's formerly uh, formerly CAMP, and just look at the the um, you know the shares of people and the interest rates that they're getting. You know, like these private mortgages oftentimes are eight, nine, ten, you know, even as high as fourteen percent interest rates. If you look at the share of Canadians that are that have mortgage rates in that range, it's extremely extremely small, less than five percent, right? So. Uh, in some cases, less than two percent in some of those double-digit interest rates. So, it's certainly not something that that I'm too worried about right now. Um, the only time I would potentially be worried about it is, is if we had any kind of major recession, right? We had a major recession where people were a lot of people were forced to sell their houses. Um, right now, the, the market is 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 good. I mean, we're not even in Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, yes, they're not adding new jobs. They're not seeing any price growth, but you know, it's the market's down uh, one or two percent, right? So it's there's no um, there's no blood in the water. People, there's not major foreclosures. None of that's none of that's happening right now, right? So you're 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 not going to see any type of the bottom of the market come up and and cause any any other major issues in Toronto. If if any of these people's houses became came on the market, there'd be a lineup. To, to buy them, right? And that's just uh, uh, that gives me that gives me some comfort, and and uh, that that this shadowy part of the market, which everyone everyone loves to talk about, is is really not uh, something as as big a concern as as some make it out to be, right? It makes it makes for good stories in a, in a magazine, and uh, you know you you get the anecdotal story or or the you know the the, the one sad sack story of someone that, that that lost their house or got taken advantage of, but I think it's a uh, it's a really small part of uh, the overall market. Small part of the market, not something that could potentially be a catalyst or trigger for, you know, a market collapse or something like that. And in the, in the same way that 
we saw in the United States, you know, eight, eight, ten years ago, where, you know, the the market sort of collapsed on itself because it was sort of just a house of straw kind of thing. Well, um, people people say to me, well, you know, the market crashed in the United States because prices were too high. No, prices were high because it was a symptom of easy credit and and fraudulent activity that was happening. All right, uh, it wasn't the, the, the prices were just a symptom of that. And yes. It, uh, there was leaders in place that that didn't see it happen. Um, but once uh, the, the the thing that I always tell someone is is if a kid almost drowns in your neighbor's pool, guess what? <laughs> You're going to be a lot more diligent around your pool, and that's that's what's happening in in Canada. We said, okay, wow, like that was bad. <laughs> we don't ever want anything like that to happen in uh, in uh, in Canada, right? So just uh, you know gone about being much more diligent, which I think we already were um, in, in who we give mortgages to. And we're not, uh, I mean, there's been crackdowns on even, even you can probably talk to this uh, more than I could, but crackdowns on how many mortgages investors can get for multiple properties. Um, you know, a lot of those things I hear across the board when I talk to uh, real estate agents say, yeah, you know, my guy used to be able to get 20 mortgages. You know what? Now a bank will, you know, only give him five. Right. So even though he's he's, you know, this guy's a multimillionaire who's been doing this for, for 25 years, the, the, the just the being more conservative on on uh, on how they treat that, you know, that secondary or or as the bears like to say, the speculative home buyer. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can and it's happened very slowly, too. I mean, over the last uh, decade, it's certainly it's it happens, you know, little increments, little bits, little pieces, but it's all going and tightening up. Uh, you know, the, the whole package has, has been tightened. It has become more difficult for sure um, to get a mortgage today in 2016 than it was, uh, you know, in 2007. Absolutely. And it, it's it's not just something that happened overnight. Um, you know, there's government policies, bank policies, uh, you know, a number of factors have contributed to it, but it's it certainly has been a, a, a tightening process as opposed to a loosening process. Um, but the, the demand is still there and, you know, there's so much demand, there, there's so much, um, you know, growth, especially in the GTA that, uh, the market just keeps pushing forward and, and keeps, uh, keeps progressing. Um, Sorry, go no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, young people from across Ontario want to come to, to Toronto, right. And, and people even in the United States and in other countries, are seeing what Toronto is, and it's a it's a very welcoming city. It's it's a growing global city. It's a it's a clean city. It's a you know a, a welcoming city for um you know for all races, colors, and, and creeds, right? So um you know, if you look at the opportunity, if someone um, is looking at the opportunity in New York or looking at the opportunity in Toronto, are you going to pay twenty four hundred dollars a square foot to 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 live in New York? Are you going to pay Four thousand dollars a month for a one bedroom in San Francisco, or you're going to come to Toronto and, and pay seven hundred dollars a square foot, or six hundred fifty dollars a square foot, or or get a one bedroom for fifteen hundred bucks a month, right, and still get those same opportunities that you would in in New York, right? I think people are seeing that uh, that opportunity and seeing that um, um, uh, how such a great opportunity or that's 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 involved uh, with uh, with Toronto, right? So. 
Um, I don't I don't see that changing. I think the the condo boom has been the greatest thing ever for Toronto because it just allows all these young people to have access to the city and everything the city has to offer instead of being stuck out in the suburbs and taking a, a two-hour bus ride to get to the job downtown. It's just, uh, you know, they're staying, they're living in the city, they're spending money in the city, they're consuming in the city, it creates jobs, creates restaurants, creates bars, uh, you know, it's just uh, feeds in on itself, right? I think that's just, uh, that's amazing. It's people having startups, companies running out of a out of their condos, got three employees in there, they, when they have a client over, they go rent out the the guest suite or, or, or the office, right? I think uh, it's very conducive to, uh, um, you know, to, uh, to getting creative, uh, intelligent people into the city. That's, uh, that's a great segue to ask, you know, how does Toronto compare to the rest of the world? I've, you know, we've seen you talking about that and tweeting about it as well. Um, Toronto versus other major world cities, what, uh, what do we need to know? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, there's a few different, uh, you know, sources of uh, information that's that's kind of tracking that. One is a little, um, you know, it's it's based off of people putting in, in the information, right? And I guess that's only as good as, as the people that are, are uh, you know, entering the information. It's uh, through a website called Numbio. Um, so it has a lot of information where you can compare across several different companies. And then UBS did a study where they looked at, you know, housing costs, wage levels, uh, you know, food costs, the, the cost of services. So I, basically for, um, you know, the NBO data, I just looked at, you know, city center. So basically, um, you know, just the, the core of these cities, what it would cost to, to rent a one-bedroom, what it would cost to rent a three-bedroom, the average price on a per-square-foot basis for a condo. And I looked at the, you know, the, the average annual salary after taxes, right? So you, you look at, uh, you know, New York and, and, and London, these big, massive, worldly, global centers, and, and, and people are making 20 to, to, to 25% more than they do on average in Canada, uh, in Toronto, sorry, in, in, the, in the core. Yet, you know, they're paying, you know, in London, um, $3,167 per square foot for a condo, right? In New York, like I mentioned, uh, $2,419 uh, per square foot for a condo, right? Uh, it costs food on average 30% more in London than in Toronto. In New York, 37% more uh, for food costs. Um, 17% more in London for, for services, 21% more for New York. So you're not making that much more money, yet you're paying um, uh, a lot more for services and food and uh, in housing, right? So it really just shows you why a lot of investors are very bullish on, on Toronto and uh, continue to put their put their money here. How long do you think this can last? Um, is it inevitable that Toronto will become this very expensive city on par with these other cities and, and will look back on these days, so to speak, and say, wow, Toronto was just this small little cheap city and now we're just like all the others? Or will we always be lagging behind? Will we always be sort of a cheaper city? What do you think? Yeah, I think it, it really depends on the level of supply we add to the city. Right. I mean, you look at. I mean, I go to Boston. It's a small little place, and everything is just so expensive. And they just they don't have a lot of high-rise condos, right? But, uh, you know, you look at Los Angeles. It's like you look at the. They do the little. Uh, if you're watching a basketball game, they pan the downtown. It's like literally like ten high-rise towers. It's unbelievable, right? Like everyone's driving from two hours away from their giant house and being stuck in traffic all day 
right? And it's just it's not conducive for a um, you know to 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 a dense urban walkable communities that that uh, that people people want in, in transit, right? Um, Connell, we're adding you know twenty to twenty five thousand units a year, right? And we thought, oh my goodness, that's that's way too much. There's never going to be the people to fill them, but it was kind of the other way around. Like the uh, the, the investors saw that potential the demand could be higher, right? As opposed to demand being being there instead of all end users buying them because they wanted to live in Toronto, investors bought them, thought the demand would be there, and the demand ended up being there. So the supply actually came first uh, before the demand. So it's kind of an interesting um, change in in what's in what's uh, you know uh, typically the way things things happen, right? Like yeah, I understand. Okay, I like that. I, yeah. Yeah, I gotta get a job offer in, in New York and and, and uh, Toronto and say, you know what? It's it's the the the, the incomes are are close, but hey, it's so much cheaper in Toronto, so I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Toronto because just there's something available that's that's a lot uh, more inexpensive, right? So it's just a it's a different way of of uh, of thinking about it that you know uh, rarely gets gets talked about is is people that wouldn't have moved ever moved to Toronto. Um, now that there's, they say, well, it's actually not as expensive as I thought it would be, or ended up moving here, right? Because we've, we've created this supply and we've kept housing relatively uh, affordable, right? I mean, people, people still think obviously it's expensive. And, uh, you know, when you're, if you want to live in a thousand square foot unit at $650 a square foot, yeah, that's not, uh, that's not cheap. But in, in reality, if you want to, uh, you know, buy a 400 square foot condo and and have no parking. It's it's very very affordable in comparison to any major city uh, in the world, right? And certainly anyone that's any cities that's on par with Toronto. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very interesting hypothesis. One that we I don't know if it's our Canadianness or what. We don't think of it that way, but it's almost like we assume that no more people will want to come here. You know what I mean? It's like we, we see, okay, we're, we're, we're okay, but this is probably as good as it's ever going to get. Well, you kind of flip that on its head just in the way you describe it. What if we took the approach, uh, especially as condo investors to say, you know what, the city's pretty good right now, but I think it's actually going to get a lot better. And I think more people are going to want to live here. So I'm buying today under that hypothesis, because it's, I'm buying something, you know, pre-construction today that is going to be built in, you know, three, four or five years. And I'm pretty confident that in that time, there's going to be more people wanting to come to this city. Yeah. It's, uh, I really hear someone say, Hey, I went to New York and I hated it. I absolutely hate it. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, people yeah. love going to New York. There's, there's something happening on every single corner. There's fantastic restaurants uh everywhere there's you know they're all independent and and you know attracting the best best cooks and it's you know, fantastic nightlife and and you know all the retail shopping that you could ever want right where you know i lived in i lived in dallas there's not there's no such thing as independent restaurants everything's right. a chain right uh you want to go somewhere you got to get in your car and, and drive there right there's there's very few communities there that are walkable at all and i, I think people are 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 you know, they, they'd rather live in a smaller home and have an ability to jump on the subway and go somewhere or, or uh, you know, be able to walk to all the things that they need to than to live in a larger house. I think that's the, the trade-off that uh, that people are, are willing to make now. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, great point. Um, another big buzz topic that never seems to go away is foreign buyers, foreign investors, non-resident buyers. Um, how much of a factor are they in the condo market specifically? Um, 
and how, and and you know, it, it, I think the bigger question. I mean, we beat this question to death, but I mean, is it something we need to care about, or is it really just a nothing sort of an issue? Yeah, I, for me, there's 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 two different issues, right? If foreign buyers are amazing for the pre-construction condo market, right? Uh, because we need rental in this city. I think it's trending more towards young people renting for longer. That just seems to be the trend that I'm witnessing right now. Um, so we need that intermediary, right? And because uh, end users aren't just going to come in, come in and buy 500 condo units and, and with the size of the towers now, wait five years before they get to move in and put down 20% down. It's just it's not feasible anymore, right? Uh, people don't one have the money for for a twenty percent down payment, and two don't want to, you know, wait from from the from being twenty two years old and then be twenty seven before they move in, right? So it's just uh, it kind of creates that um, you know that intermediary where they can hold it, and uh, and even they're not even selling them at at completion, right? A lot of them are a lot of people are holding them for five, six, seven years before they're they're selling off. So I think. Foreign buyers uh, and, and investors in general are, are really a huge benefit for the city. Where I get worried about is certainly I, I have no data to, to back up, back this up. I mean, I, I did a survey of the mortgage brokers and just asked them, you know, what what percentage of your your clientele was was foreign buyers or uh, or new immigrants, right? And they said about eight percent, right? Which seems seems pretty consistent. But again, that was I, I sent that survey out to, to mortgage brokers across Canada, so. Uh, if I had just targeted ones that were in downtown Toronto or or in the GTA, GTA suburbs, then maybe I would get a I'd get a different answer. But you know, anecdotally, just by by uh, talking to real estate agents out there and and uh, other people in the business, there seems to be more foreign investment happening in the low rise market. So that does give me a little bit of worry because we're already so undersupplied in the low rise market that. Uh, you know, any additional demand is is going to put just major pressure on on uh, on housing, right? Uh, I mean, we're down to in the in the new low rise housing market, four thousand unsold units. You know, we're ten years ago with seventeen thousand units, right? So um, this major decline in uh, in available um, uh, new low rise product is just causing catastrophic, I guess, <laughs> uh, increases in, in pricing. You know, we're, we've got 15% year-over-year growth in the in the uh, resale uh, low-rise housing market. We have 18% growth in the new uh, low-rise housing market. Right? It's it's uh, it's getting crazy. We're 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 about to announce a couple deals in, in uh, low-rise deals. These are future deals in in uh, East Gwillenbury and uh, potentially one in uh, in West Gwillenbury. I just looked at the numbers for the, the total uh, for 2015 versus um, February of 2016. They're, they're up 25% over last year. Yeah. In 2016. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. People, Young people still want a single detached house, so they're driving farther out to get it, and they're paying you know unbelievable prices to to get that single family home. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's true. Like you said, it's, that's, that's a segment of the market where it's very difficult to track, uh, you know, the foreign buyer component and how it, uh, may or may not be affecting the market. It'll be interesting to see how that develops. And the thing is, is it a foreign buyers or someone's buying for their child to, to come here or they're planning to move here. Right. It's, it's such, right. such a weird line to, uh, to draw. Right. Yeah. 
people are buying because they want to move here in five years and they want to rent it out in the in the midterm because they see the value of the, the Toronto market. I'm not as concerned about that, but if they're just trying to park their money here um, because they're worried about uh, what's happening in, in in their country, I just worry a little bit about um, you know uh, how that can can negatively impact the market. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, two, we're uh, what are we? Three months now. Three months into 2016. Um, you know, on my end, it looks like the the condo market in Toronto is is going to in the resale and the pre construction side is going to have a very very uh, good year. Um, what are you seeing? What are you tracking for the condo market in Toronto in 2016? What what kind of year do you think it's going to be? Yeah, I, I, I forecast there's a little under uh, 20,000 sales. So again, a very, very strong year. Uh, thing that was interesting last year that hadn't happened in a decade is every single quarter in 2015, resale price growth was bigger than new home price growth. So I thought that was really interesting. That hadn't happened in a decade. Um, and, and generally what you see is the resale market reacts quicker than the new sale market. So the, the, the resale market leads the new sale market. So right. if we're seeing big increases, and we saw a 17% increase in resale condos in the 416 in February, that tells me that you're going to start to see some 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 more increases in the, in, the, uh, in the new home market. I know that the developers are being really unaggressive, surprisingly unaggressive, seeing that we had the second highest year ever for, for new condo sales in, in 2015, very unaggressive in terms of their launch prices. They're, they you know, they still have 2009 on their mind, right? So they want to make sure that they get up to that 70% sold um, before they start, you know, cranking up their pricing. And uh, and so that's, you know, obviously positive for the investors who get in on day one. You know, you got to get in early before those uh, those prices go up, right? So, um, so I see another... Strong year, um, I, you know. I'm not unless again, barring some uh, some black swan event uh, that uh, that happens globally that uh, um, that uh, spooks everybody. Uh, I'm looking at a very strong year, and I expect stronger price growth in in 2016 than uh, we experienced in 2015. I think I said in my report three to four percent, but now I'm thinking. You know, based off of the first three months of the year, that it might, you know, you might see five to seven percent growth in the uh, in the resale condo market. It's great, yeah, yeah. It's uh, very very interesting, and it, like you said, the the developer side being very quite conservative with their launch pricing, and also just with their launches in general. Not too many new launches so far in 2016, and even the last few months of 2015, there are not a lot of new product. That has uh, has been launched, introduced to the market. It seems everybody is. Um, I don't know if they're waiting for the second half of 2016, or it's just a lack of available sites, particularly in the in the core of the city. But we haven't seen a lot of new product so far. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it's all just about availability of, of product. Who the developer is, right? The developer has it, and they're already working on a couple of other deals. I mean, not not to rush into bringing a new one on the market, right? And uh, um, I, you know, in, in 2011, it just seems like guys were just rushing things to market. They're just trying to get it as quickly as possible because everything was just, you know, everyone was buying everything, right? So, yeah. um, people were just, you know, oh, I was going to launch this in 2012, but everything's going so amazing right now. I just, I don't want to lose out on it. And stuff was stuff was launching in the middle of summer, right? In August, 
first, you know, for this right. craziness because they, they knew that everyone was buying and, and, and if they went out in, in August, then they're not going to have as much competition, right? They're not fighting for, for the interest of the investors. But mm-hmm. uh, obviously, you know, we saw uh, too much too much price increases in, in the early part of 2012. Everyone got way too aggressive. Um, the market really slowed down in 2012. And again, 2013 was... I wouldn't say a terrible year, but uh, uh, in, in historical perspective, it was a, it was a terrible year. But um, in, uh, in the grand scheme of things, it was still a pretty good year. Um, but it really forced developers to you know, take a second thought on what their mix was and, and who their target uh, target was, and uh, and, and button everything up, get all the full approvals before they before they go out to market. So I think that has kind of carried through uh, through uh, into even into 2016. So um, I think it's uh, it's fantastic that you know that we're kind of continue to have a market where where, where guys are. are uh, of being conservative, I think it helps helps everyone. Everyone everyone wins. You want the investors to win. You want the end users to win. You want the developer to win. You want the the lenders to win. You want everyone to win, as opposed to one guy trying to take more of the pot, uh, right? And, uh, and, uh, and if one guy's raising his prices too much, is that you know another guy's going to raise his prices? If one guy's um, you know paying out five or six percent commission, does that force his competitor to, to raise it up, and then it just eats away from profits? You know this. You really gotta, um, you know, find a balance somewhere there, and it seems that uh, there's a pretty, a pretty good balance in the market right now. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. Ben, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it as always. Um, if people want to find you online, and and obviously I'll include a link to the market manuscript on the show notes for this episode. But uh, people want to hit you up or, or reach you. What's the best way to do that? Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter. I you know I'm, I'm more than willing to uh, to chat with people until they call me a name and then then I back them. So. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you? People call you names? No way. <laughs> people don't like uh, if you're bullish on the housing market. I don't I don't see why that is, but uh, <laughs> I, I make my forecasts available, and, and you can you can find my forecasts in, in the last five market manuscripts at. Uh, fortressrealdevelopments.com slash news. We've got all the manuscripts there so you can see my forecast and see how they they line up against uh, you know the other independent third-party sources and, and uh, just letting me know that I've had the closest starts forecast for Tron the last two years. So, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so Twitter is at, at BenMyers29. Um, I link a lot of my articles in there. So I write for the Huffington Post and the, and the Toronto Sun and the, and the New Condo Guide. And I link a lot of my one of my articles there, rednext.ca as well, um, which is a fantastic resource for um, real estate news and, and information. So, um, yeah, lots of stuff in there, and I'm happy to uh, to engage any of your uh, your followers if they want to uh, get my opinion on, on what's happening out there in the market. Awesome. Great. Thanks a lot, as always, Ben. All right. Take care, Andrew. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.